book of Genesis, chapter 49. If you have a Bible in your house, I want you to join me as I take you down a road. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read to you some scriptures, okay? But I don't plan on reading the entire 49th chapter. We're going to cover is uh, almost 28 verses here. And I don't know if you have seen those sermons where or talks where the preacher just reads like the whole Bible to you. And you're sitting there saying, you know, could you get to that point? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to simply summarize and point you in a direction and kind of help you understand where you are. Now, today's talk is called de de Right Definitions for the Right Results. And this is called an honest uh, family analysis, an honest family talk. This is a family conversation in Genesis 49 where God sits, uh, well, I'm sorry, Jacob sits down with his children and he says, let me tell you what to do. Let me tell you about yourself. It's kind of like a life summary. And it's one of the most honest summaries. It's one of the most incredible conversations that I've ever read in the Bible. I mean that. Most people miss it. Genesis 49 is amazing. This is the story of, uh, if you remember, Jacob was uh, Jacob had uh, several sons, uh, 12 sons, and, and one of them was really famous named Joseph. Joseph was the one who was sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt, and ended up making sure that the whole family was saved because while he was sold by his brothers into slavery, he ended up becoming the, the second man in charge in Egypt and was the reason why his family didn't starve to death. Because when the famine came uh, in the land, he was able to bring them to Egypt, lead them to a brand new life of freedom and blessing. But the problem was they overstayed their welcome. They stayed longer than they were supposed to, but that's another story. That's why when you get to the book of Exodus, you find them in slavery. You can stay too long sometime in a good place. Well, anyway, so in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob uh, has... Uh, come to his last conversation with his sons before he dies. In chapter 50, uh, Joseph uh, talks to his brothers. His brothers are afraid that Joseph's going to kill them because they sold him into slavery. But he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So it's a tremendous ending to the book of Genesis. Uh, it's just powerful. From the beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 1, all the way to the end of Genesis, chapter 50, there's just all kinds of great stories. But, but what's often missed is the conversation in Genesis 49. And what happens is amazing because it's about a family that sits down and daddy says, Jacob says, listen, let me tell you about yourself. Now, this is what I call an honest family analysis. This is no, no, no holding back, no punches. And what's powerful is it's an example of what families need to do today. Sometimes families define their role uh, is to somehow be, I don't know, peacekeepers, um, protect the children's reputation at all costs, not Jacob. In Genesis 49, he unloads. He says, let me tell you about yourself. And he does it by name. All 12 guys. Let me tell you about you and you and you and you. And what he does is he raises the level of conversation. He raises the level of vision. And he helps people understand the power of their vision. He helps them understand the, 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 the truth about where they stand. And so Genesis chapter 49, this is a, a, the beginning of the text, starting in verse 1. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Now, notice what he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. 
Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my mighty, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor and exceeding in power. So notice again, he starts off by naming each person. And now here's where it gets interesting. He starts to tell the truth about each one. It's so easy to lie about your children. It's so easy to lie about what happened. But not this guy. Watch what he says. And I, what I've done is I'm going to show you the categories. There are categories of issues. And I label each son. I, I give each son a good rating, a mixed rating, or just a wonderful rating. Okay? So, you, so you look for these ratings as I walk through them. Number one, look at verse four. He said, describing Reuben, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went, on, you went up onto your father's bed on my couch and defiled it. So notice he talks about incest. He talks about strife. And he talks about adultery, all in this one son's life, his oldest son, Reuben. Now, that's just candid. And he tells him to his face. Let me tell you what you did. Next son, watch this now. You're going to notice as I go through this, Six sons were good. Two sons had mixed records, okay? And four guys were just flat out bad. Don't want you to think about that now. That's 33% of his children had problems. Again, six were good sons. Nothing really bad said about them. Then he had two that had what I call mixed records, kind of up and down. And then you had four flat out off the charts bad. Amazing story. Watch this. Simeon, he says, and Levi. He puts them together. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. And, and the hamstring and oxen is to just simply to abuse the oxen. It's an amazing, amazing decision. It's amazing. So you got these, these guys who are off the charts, uh, out of control, abusing animals, abusing men. Verse 7 says, Cursed be their anger, cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Wow. That's amazing. Look at the next one. He says, Judah, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah, Return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches, describing Judah, he crouches and lies down like a, like a lioness who dares to rouse him, dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will Tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Now, again, Judah is uh, really is, is they call him the, 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 the um, son that was the center of praise. So praise and worship was centered around Judah. And there's this whole comment that's pretty positive. Look at the next one, Zebulun. He said, Zebulun will live by the seashore and become uh, a haven for ships. His borders will extend toward Sidon. He said, you sons, Zebulun, you, uh, you will uh, be a guy who 
lives out on the, on the sea. And so he sees the potential in each child, describes where they're strong, describes where they're good, describes where they go off. Iskar, he said he loves the hard work of sheep farming. Iskar, verse 14, is a, is a raw, raw bone donkey lying down among the sheep when he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to the harbor. Dan, now watch this, Dan, this is one of the mixed guys. You know, some guys are bad, some guys are good, some guys are kind of mixed. He will be like a snake and a viper. Dan, verse 16, will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the way that bites the horse's heels so that his rider tumbles backward. I, I look for your deliverance, Lord. This is, this is an incredibly honest statement. My son, Dan, he's like a snake now. <laughs> Pretty powerful. Look at Gad. Gad, he will be a fighter. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at, at their heels. This is a guy, Gad, who's going to be a fighter. Then Asher, is, he said he will be a cook that provides good food. Now, that's my brother that's going to be on the food channel. So notice he describes some are fighters, same family. Some are sneaky. He said in some, and he tells them to their faces. Asher. Asher's food will be rich, verse 20 said. He will provide delicacies for the king. Nephtali, another good guy. He will be a free spirit, like a, like a, like a dock on a female deer, uh, like, a, like a doe, rather, or a female deer. Nephtali is a doe set free that bears uh, beautiful uh, fawns. This is, this is a great summary. Then Joseph, another good guy. He's a fruitful person that is ready, that is steady. Joseph, verse 22, is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall with bitterness. Archers attacked him, for they shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady and his strong arm stayed, stayed limber. So notice the description is pretty powerful for Joseph. Now it gets mixed again. Look at Benjamin. He's like a wolf that devours Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. <laughs> Just flat out honest about his children. Then I love it. He just says, you know, he said, Benjamin is like a ravenous wolf. All these comments are unique and strong. Daddy told the truth. Now, what's amazing is, even though he told the truth, even though he told it like it was, he shows us the power of honesty. Now, he was a trickster in his early days. Remember, he tricked his own brother. Remember, he stole the brother's birthright, did a lot of things. But he was different. As a matter of fact, one of the questions that people ask me, and, and, and I mentioned, I, I, I came to my attention, was somebody asked me once, said, was Jacob like his sons? I said, no. Jacob is an example of a guy who was different than his sons. But his sons, some of them, took his behavior to the next level. So he tricked his brother. He manipulated. He lied. He stole his brother's birthright. But he wasn't like his sons. Some of his sons killed people. Some of his sons abused animals. Some of his sons committed incest and adultery. There's no record of him doing those things. Your kids can go further than you. 
That's why you need to be careful what you do. If you define things one way and you teach that to your children, they will take your definition of life and expand it sometimes. And sometimes they'll take it for the good and sometimes they'll take it to the worst place. And Jacob's family, he had both. But what I like about chapter 49 is he's honest. He says, let me tell the truth. Let me ask you a question. Are you telling the truth? Are you telling the truth about your family? Are you telling the truth about your life? Are you telling the truth? If you're not careful, you're not telling the truth. And that can be really hard for you. Hard on your future, hard on your family. I believe that one of the best definitions for a family, and that's what we're talking about today, is to, to sit down and say, here is the truth about where we are. And it doesn't need to be a lecture. It doesn't need to be a condemning moment. It doesn't need to be where you put people down. It just means you want to tell the truth. I love this guy. I love this chapter because it makes me as a father, it makes me as a husband, it makes me as a leader of a family say, am I telling the truth? But not only in my, in my family, but in my, in my business, in my work. Am I honest? Can I be honest about people who work for me? Can I be honest about the people who, who, who are part of our church? Can I be honest about our, our whole attitude as a, as a group, as a family? I love the honesty in Genesis 49. I love the courageous way he just told the truth. So I want to ask you that. Are you telling the truth? Because if you're not telling the truth, you can't get there. If you want to blame it on somebody else and not sit back and say, hey, here's where we are, then you're never going to get far. As long as you define uh, family as a place where you pretend, then you'll never succeed. So all of these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. I want you to understand his goal was to say, I want to say this to you, and I'm going to pray for blessing upon you, but I want you to leave this moment knowing the truth. And I want to summarize it so that you know the truth. Now, some of you say, well, what I'm going to do after hearing this teaching, Pastor Rick, I'm going to call my kids together and say, you wicked, you lie, and you stole my money. You don't think I know you went my wallet, boy. You know, <laughs> so I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying do that. All I'm saying is it was written for a reason. God wanted us to know the value of bringing the right environment to a family what I call the right family definition. So this is what family is. Family is about being honest. Family is about telling the truth. Family is about not pretending. Family is about looking at things and making an honest analysis. If we don't do that and we pretend, that's how families end up in trouble. That's how you see so much strife. Somebody asked me the other day, said, what do you think about crime in our country? And where do you think it come from? Well, it's, it's not from the chief of police. It's not from the mayor. It's not from the city council. It's from the families. Because Bubba hit Sue. That's what happened. And Bubba and Sue don't even know those people. They don't know the mayor. They don't know the city council. They don't know any of these people. That's Bubba and Sue. And if Bubba's mad with Sue and they got a bad attitude, and that's their family culture that's been nurtured and raised, I mean, before we know it, they done shot each other. The, the, the way you fix the society is you fix the families. And you have this kind of conversation where daddy sits down and says, let me tell you where you're going. Most of you know at least one person in your family that has done something illegal. I can name a few. I can name some of them that went to jail for it. Some say, what kind of family you got? Same kind you got. 
people. People make decisions. And one of the things I've learned, I'm not making fun of anybody, I'm just making a point. There's something about being honest and seeing this is leadership. This is what leadership looks like. Who in your family is the Jacob that can sit down the whole crew and say, let me talk to you? Who in your family is the, is the individual? What's that happened now is we scared, we scared our kids. You scared, granddaddy's scared to speak up. Granddaddy's afraid to tell the truth. I was in the bob shop one time, and, and this guy was saying something, I remember. And I, and I looked around in the barbershop, and, and it was outrageous what he was saying. It was outrageous. And nobody was saying anything. And I just remember jumping in and saying, can I just say something? Brother, man, I appreciate you. I know you're trying to, you know, be heard here, but the kid's in here, and, and that's really probably not appropriate for them to have to hear that. There used to be a time an old man in the room would say something. In that case, I was the old man in the room. But nobody wants to be the old man in the room to tell the truth. And that's why our families are in trouble. That's why our society's in trouble. You can march against crime all you want. I'm not against it. If you want to march against crime, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying you need to do more than that. That's easy. That's just physical exercise. You can do that all day. What you need to do is help the families you know. You know what my assignment is? To march to the families' homes that I know that are out of control, like I did this week and talk to those families and help those people. My job is to help them get along. So here's what you do. When you finish marching, go find one family you know that's out of control and help them in addition to your marches. Because if all you do is march and you never practically help anybody, if all you do is blame somebody else, blame a leader in town, blame the senators, blame, blame the president, blame everybody, but these are your cousins that are shooting people. These are your neighbors. These are your friends. People that you can speak to. Sometimes in life, you have to say, I can't just complain. I have to have evidence. This is a daddy saying, my family, I, I'm about to die. So let me just set the record straight. Let me sit you down and let's see if we can find a positive way to get to another place. And what's interesting, history reveals that they did become better people in, in, in seasons of their life. They had, they had trouble. They had challenges. But down the road, they found their way. And I believe that it may take a generation. It may take a while. But if somebody steps up in the family and leads, it can make all the difference in the world. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. But I might just throw this in as a free, free thought here. But I don't think we want to deal with young people anymore. I don't think churches like kids. I don't think they like young people. I don't think they, they, they're, they're basically focused on gathering and worship and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Always do that. But the big thing is for you to understand the power of engaging, helping, nurturing. And that's what's happening in Genesis 49. Daddy says we need to sit down and improve this family. It needs to be better than this. We can't keep living this way. All the things that they had done cannot be changed. All the things that your family has done cannot be changed. And the list that he gave was ugly. But what he wanted to do was expose the list and get everybody to move forward. If you did any of the things on this list, you can't go back and change it. But you can be different going forward. Now, so that's all, that's all I'm going to say about that today. I want to turn now to another part of this. It's going to be Q&A time, so let me give you something to do. Uh, I want you to take your get, get ready, and I see all the people who are watching. Uh, let's see who's watching. Jerry, good to see you. Jerry Grant, Margaret, good to see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me today. 
and I like you said, good good evening to everybody. You know, that's an old time way to greet people. Good evening to everybody. Good to see you, Mark. Glad to see you with us today. And um, my good friend, Miss Mary, always good to see you here too. Um, I want to say, if you have a question, Mr. Orlando is back there. Can you say hello, Orlando? Hello. Good evening, everyone. There you go. Sound like a, I told you, you started the radio voice. Boy, you got that <laughs> thing down, man. Let me tell you. And uh, we're going to take questions today. Anything that you folks in here want to ask or anything that you want to ask online, type it in the chat, and Mr. Orlando will read your question to me. Uh, we're going to talk about some, some, a number of things today uh, that you may want to know about. So please feel free to type them in. Tony Singleton said, great, uh, great greetings again, Pastor. Good to see you, Tony. Thank you for being with us today. I don't know what y'all doing home. Y'all home cooking or what you doing, eating? What in the world is going on at your houses today? I assume that you, <laughs> uh, some of you, I was told some of you home leaning on that pillow. That's what I heard. I heard some of you say, I ain't coming in today. I'm leaning on my pillow and I'm going to watch Pastor Rick online. So I know I ain't going to say any names. I'm just going to say, Amen. I don't know to say your name now. Praise the Lord. I heard. <laughs> I heard. So I'm glad you can stay home and watch it leaning on the pillow. But uh, any questions you have for me today, anything that comes to your mind, anybody here have a question that you want to ask Pastor Rick today? Anybody got a question before I go to the, the people online? Anybody? All right. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Mr. Orlando, we got anybody online before we get to our big question for the day? Uh, no one has typed in anything as of yet? yet. Okay, great. Yes. Well, let's talk about our big question. The big question, Orlando, do you want to phrase it for me? Do you have a way you want to ask this question? What's the big question for today? So the big question, yes. How honest are you about your kids? Um, I'm, I try to be really honest. I think that's, it's hard sometimes. I don't believe in telling their story. I tell my own. But, uh, I try to be really honest about my kids. I think I learned from Genesis 49, that's the way you do it. You got to tell the truth to help them get beyond where they are. And if you lie to yourself about your children, you'll end up in a bad place. So what's the next question you got for me? I did have one that just came in okay. from online from Debbie. How do you address adult children who, I guess, who has mental challenge, health challenges but need help and won't get it? Do the best you can, because that's one of the limits of being a parent. You're not in control. You're not in charge. You can't force them. And, and it is painful. Um, there is um, there's a book that, um, uh, see if I can find it for you real quick, on, on adult children. <laughs> um, and I, I love this book. And, and if I can just find it real quick here. It talks about when you're dealing with adult children, it, it, the, the chapters alone are, are extremely humbling because it basically says the first, the first chapter of the book says you're fired. That's the first chapter. So to parents, the point of the author is um, you don't have the same power you had before. It's called Doing Life with Adult Children by Jim Burns. Doing Life with adult children by, um, that, that, that thing is powerful. And what he basically says is, um, if your adult children um, could have their way, they want you to understand you don't have the same power that you used to have in their life. And that's what they tell you. The second chapter is, um, 
Keep your mouth shut, but keep the welcome mat out. That's chapter two. So in the first chapter of the book, you fired. The second chapter is, but don't take the welcome mat out. Keep the welcome mat out and your wallet open. And <laughs> so and it's powerful. It's a great little book by Jim Burns. So, so what you can do is love them the best you can. I mean, that's all you can do. You can't control what this child does. And sometimes what's painful as a parent is you got to watch the movie. That's all you can do. Teach them the truth. Tell them the truth. And that's all you can do. So uh, that's, not, that's not a bigger answer, but that's all I can say. You had a question? Come on to the mic. We got somebody here with a question. Oh, here we go. I follow up on them. Adult children are bring it out of you now. Come on. What you want to ask? Good evening. Yes. Uh, what I want to Get a little close to that mic. Yeah. What I want to ask, right? Um, as parents, how do you reconcile the fact that um, children that have the same father and mother and come out of the same house show different tendencies? I mean, you might have a couple of criminals where as you have like a couple who really contribute to the good of society. So how do you reconcile that? Well, they make it the, because they have free will. You reconcile. The question was, how do you reconcile? You got, you got kids in the same house, taught the same principles, but one's criminal and one's, one's doing the right thing. They made choices. Adam and Eve had no bad examples. Think about that for a minute. But they made, they made a choice. God gave them the power to choose. I had the right to choose my life path. My kids do too. They have a right to choose what kind of people they want to be. I can't choose that for them. And I'm not responsible for it. God, can you blame God for, for his bad children? He didn't tell you, he told them, no, eat that fruit, don't eat that. If you eat that, you're going to mess up everything. And they ate it anyway. <laughs> so, so that's an example of how life is. That's why you should free yourself. If they don't do what you say, you know, say, well, hey, I'll send you some money on commissary or I'll visit you, I'll send you a letter every now and then. Um, you know, at least you're not dead, thank God, you know. Some didn't, some didn't live because they didn't, didn't listen. And, and I, I remember a father, it was powerful, man. He told me, he was sitting with me at dinner, and he said, um, he was eating, we were eating. And I said, do you have any kids? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, two boys. Two boys, he said, they're dead, both of them. And he kept on chewing. I thought, wow, at least you need to stop chewing. He just kept on chewing. He said, yep, they didn't listen. Got shot, both of them dead. He kept on chewing. I thought, well, wow, can we have a moment of silence or something? He, he did. He's like, I done cried over that. He looked at me like, I done cried. I'm, I'm done with that. I can't. Them boys did not listen to me. And he said it as just like that. And he kept eating. He ate his whole plate. I said, okay. I paused. Do what you can with the fella. Love him, love her the best you can. But let me tell you something. If you're not careful, I always say this. They'll bury you. You'll be up here at the altar crying over them. And they'll be, then they get all your money, your house and everything. Sell it. Go to Disney World. And, and still don't change. So I'm just saying, do your best. Do your best. Don't give up on them. Do your best. But don't let them drag you in the same place. Don't let them impoverish you. Don't let them put you in a place where you're make, making a bad decision. You end up in jail, for, and then they free. Don't, don't do that. Just do the best you can. Be as lovingly persistent as you can and let it go. That's what I would say. All right? Orlando, what else you got? Yes, sir. How much were Jacob's other kids like him? 
Again, I said in the message, they weren't like him at all. Many of them were, but, but he had kids that were like him and persistent. They worked hard in that sense. But in terms of, uh, I mean, they deceived Jacob over 20 years, lied to him about Joseph being, you know, sold to being eaten by animal. They, they lied and they, they sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery and lied to him for over 20 years. Now, that's deep. All of them lied. All 11 of them lied. So, Jacob never did that. So a lot of times your kids can do stuff you never did because they choose to. So that's what I say about that. All right, you ready? Let's do that big question. The big question is what? That's the big question for the day, man, Orlando. There's one big one about, about um, what is it about? It's about the big topic of the day. You know what we're talking about today, right, in society? I promised you I'd talk about it earlier. Um, the question, you want to read it, Orlando? Go for it. Okay, you, okay, Max, go on. Let me read it for you. It's um, the question about um, abortion. I've been asked a lot today about abortion, and uh, the, the big question that I have been uh, uh, wrestling with for the last few days, I said, I said something once already online, but I want to take a moment and I want to just talk about that, about abortion. What do I think about the ruling, the... Supreme Court made uh, regarding the abortion issue. Uh, I think, first of all, it's very difficult for some people to admit what they don't know. Uh, I made a call before I came on today to the doctor and had a conversation about this, and I, I try, I try to be honest about my, my um, perspective. Ricky Temple has a perspective. But what's interesting about my perspective, my perspective is often tied to my issues. So if I can't find a job, guess what my issue is? Employment, right? If I can't, um, don't get paid enough, my issue is salary. There are some things that will never be my issue. I won't be, I would not be able to understand that. I can, and one of the things about being a pastor or being a guy who does public speaking is you often think if you're not careful, you have the answer for everything because you got the microphone and that you're right because you quote a few Bible verses and you, you know, sound impressive. I think the, the, the most important thing for me is to make sure that when I speak to an issue like abortion, that I'm informed. Let me tell you something that was fascinating for me. Um, a few years ago, I realized out of all the books, hundreds of books I've read, out of all the education I have, all, all the degrees, I had never read one book on abortion. But I had an opinion about it. You know, I had a, a strong opinion. So let me give you my opinion. And that opinion is still true, but you're going to uh, just listen to me all the way through. I want every baby to be born. That's what I want. So I want to be clear. I'm going to say that a few times in this so that you don't get confused and misunderstand me. I want every baby to be born. That's my desire. But first of all, I have to be clear, I can't have a baby. I don't have the ability to bring forth life. I can participate in the creation of life, but I cannot carry a baby. So there are certain things that aren't my issue. For example, Whatever ruling they come up with regarding abortion, I, I will never be 
the person who has to make a decision about an abortion for me in terms of my personal physical body. I, I'm not, that's never going to be the case. Okay. Secondly, I don't necessarily, I found this out. I don't, I don't think I understand the history of abortion. I don't understand the technical impact of it. In other words, I don't understand how it's done. You know, where you go, what's the procedure, what's the aftermath, not from a personal experience. There's something else that's interesting. I, I don't have, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't have certain concerns. 30,000, this is amazing, 30,000 plus women a year are impregnated by somebody against their will. That will never be my issue. That I'm not biologically vulnerable to that, so I don't have to think about that. But 30,000 plus women have to think about that in little girls. Incest, that's not something that I personally can be a victim of, at least in terms of being impregnated. So that's not my issue. So if I'm making decisions about this issue, but it's not my issue, I have to be careful that I don't have an opinion that's just rooted in my own, my own personal thoughts. I am surprised at the depth of my ignorance. And I'm surprised at the way pastors and ministers, guys like me, speak with such knowledge and authority without really knowing much about what they say. Let me give you an example. I, when I went, to, I went to a class, and I sat in a class, uh, it was online, but I, I sat in this class where they talked about abortion, and they were for it. I had never done that. I didn't understand the history of it, how it started in the country, and any of that. And also didn't understand the procedure and the process. I didn't understand what it was like when several states had different policies regarding abortion. I didn't understand that one state said no, one state said yes, and how that impacts people. I didn't understand that men, mainly men, and I say this without being mean or racist, but mainly white men are making policies for women and, and that they don't even know, that they will never encounter. They make uh, medical judgments. I've seen pastors in debates with people, and I'm, I, and I'm embarrassed as a pastor because I'm saying, you know Genesis and Exodus, but you don't know much about biology and chemistry. You don't know anything about this. Your statements are not tied to fact. For example, I talked to a doctor, right, and I, and I wanted to talk to a doctor who was a specialist in this area, and I just asked a few questions. And what I learned was amazing. Where they make these laws, where they draw the lines will determine what they can and can't do. Where the pregnancy happens in the body, does the pregnant heart the heartbeat law was one of the things they heard that wanted to do here in Georgia. The doctor said to me, it puts us in an awkward place and it changes all the options. Now, let me say this again for everybody who's nervous. I want every baby to be born. That's my personal preference. My personal preference is I want everybody to live. I understand that. But here's what I don't face as an issue, the same issues this doctor faces. When a baby is born in, the, in a Philippian tube, Philippian tube and the baby um, is born, and I didn't, I didn't know this. I didn't know that pregnancy can happen when you have C-sections. You can have scar tissue, and that the baby basically can land in scar tissue, and that, that it can grow in the scar tissue. It's amazing. And so once this is discovered, the doctor said to me, 
can't, the way the laws are written sometimes in some states, you can't, you won't be able to interfere with that. So the concern is coming up with rules that, that, that speak to the, the broader concerns and not just thinking about it from my perspective. And so if you ask me about my bottom line feeling, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that we don't have a conversation with people that we disagree with. Let me say it to you one more time, third time. I want every baby to be born. I want every baby to have an opportunity. I want that. I would love to see more babies adopted, but I want to also deal with the issue that's created when you need ten dollars to $30,000 to have an, have an adoption. And the average person doesn't have that. I want, to, I want to deal with that. I think that you have to deal with all the issues. Sometimes you can establish a rule or a law and not understand the issues you create for everybody down, down, downwind. And you have to make sure that you care. And here's what's, here's what the problem is. You know, I, I, I believe the bigger problem that we should talk about is our sexual attitudes. Because all of this is rooted in our attitude toward sex. Uh, Y'all do know what that is, right? Okay, good. So we can get lost in the abortion conversation. We can get lost in all that. But as long as everybody is having sex everywhere when anybody they want, as often as they feel, and they got this definition of love, and the music says do it, and everybody says do it. See, in the Bible, the reason God said that wait until you're married to have sex is because if you had a baby, the baby lands in a safe place. There is a safe place where families can rally around the, this whole pregnancy issue, and there's no need to have the thought that I can't take care of this baby and let's get an abortion. There is no need for that because there's, there's, there's provision for it. But what's interesting is a lot of times now when you have this large number of, of people having babies with no insurance, no protection, no, no, no place to go, I don't want them to make this decision. But, but, but if I'm not careful, guess what? That's not my issue. So I can, I can point fingers, I can make judgments, I can say things, but I'm not, I'm not willing to put my money on the line. I'm not willing to help them adopt, to give them the 10 to 30,000. I'm not willing to do anything. So they make decisions that maybe they wouldn't make if we helped them. Maybe if we talked about a broader conversation. I don't, I, I don't know where this is going to land in the end, and I think my job is not to sort out what's going to happen with the Supreme Court. I have opinions about that. I have opinions about us turning left because people are so outraged because of the way they feel they're being treated and the idea that they don't have control. And, and what's interesting is sometimes you can make people think things that aren't necessarily your goal. You do that in marriage, right? right? You say something, and that's not your goal. You're not trying to rob a person of their rights. You're simply trying to say, here's what I want you to consider. Maybe, maybe the problem for us is that we just aren't talking. And the Bible says, are people divided against themselves? See, you can win today and lose the war tomorrow because I've made you think, I don't want to hear what you got to say. And that's fine as long as it's on my side. In other words, as long as I'm winning as a Christian, it's fine. I can put Muslims down. I can put Buddhists down. I can put anybody down. But if the, if the coin switches, and historically it always does, and the other side wins, then now we have all kinds of things that I don't want to happen. 
But when I had all the power, I used my power and ignored you. I, I, I live in a world with people that have not decided to follow Jesus. John 17 says, I don't want you to, to leave the world. I don't want you to be like them. But I got to learn how to deal with them. You work every day on your job with people who don't agree with you. They cuss, they do blah, 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 and you find a way to work and make a living. We live in a world where we got to talk to each other. This divided politics, this divided stuff that we're living through now is bad for all of us. A house divided against itself, Jesus said, cannot stand. So what do I want? I want everybody to live. That's what I want. But I don't want this division. I don't want to ignore people on the other side who have a different view than me and act like what they say doesn't matter. I don't want to create rules and boundaries for them where they have no ish, no, no out in the examples I just gave. I don't want a person who was raped or a person who has incest. I don't want those persons to think I don't care about that. I don't want to be a man sitting up saying, well, I think I'll just go ahead and don't worry about it. I, I, I think I think I got to be careful about that. And I've got to be careful that I don't, as a Christian, communicate something that I can't change. But, you know, we Christians know everything. We save, sanctified, know everything. We save, sanctified, and can't be, can't be corrected because we know God and Jesus. And we use terms and we just throw it out there. You're killing babies. I understand what you mean. But I want to say more than saying things that inflame people, I need to hear what you're saying. And I need to make sure that I'm listening. But if you don't want to listen, that's okay too, I guess. But the consequences is, like, like Colin Powell once said, you said your enemy gets to fight too. Your enemy has a voice. The Bible said that you should try to make peace with people. We're not doing that in our politics. And that's dangerous for our country. That's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for a church. So what's your bottom line, Reverend? You're for or against? I told you from the beginning, I'm 35 times, I want everybody to be born. I told you, I don't want to see any of this happen. But I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter what I want. If everybody's going to sleep with everybody and do everything they want to do, it doesn't matter. I can say what I want, but it doesn't matter if, if families won't unite around people who, who gotten pregnant and try to help them. It won't matter. It won't ma I can say what I want to say. I know what I would do in my family context. I know what I would, how I would help. I know how I've already done that. I know how I've already jumped in the fight when somebody gets pregnant. I know I've already not condemned them. I know I've already done that. The issue for me is that I care about issues beyond my issues and beyond what I deal with. I got to care about that. And I think we've communicated something to people that we don't mean to. You know, it's about verses, let not your good be evil spoken of. Don't, don't do something that makes people think something that you don't really mean. I think it's painful to see what I've seen in this country. But my short, my answer is, and I said as I close, I want everybody to be born. But I think we've lost something. The ability to hear each other, listen to each other, and that is dangerous. And it always turns against the Christians who are branded. The book, You Lost Me, by Kinnerman says it well. He says, the world sees us, young people in particular, as unscientific. We don't care about science. We, we don't want to be questioned about anything, that we are very restrictive 
and controlling. And that's why they don't come to church. That's why they're not with us. That's why most of you have very few young people in your church. They don't care what you think. Now, you may not have seen this, but I've seen it. I grew up as an unchurched person. We didn't go to church. So I didn't care what you thought. I went and played basketball on Sunday. And you live in a world now where the fastest growing group of people are nuns. They have no religious affiliation at all. You are irrelevant to them. And now the church is facing a bigger crisis. 60% of those who attended don't, hadn't come back. The average church only has 30 to 40% of those who were attending back. The world has changed. It's because you now are becoming, in their mind, irrelevant. We must be careful that we don't become irrelevant. We must be careful that we are viewed as people that don't listen and don't care. If that happens long enough, we're in trouble. And, and I tell you, the Bible says in the last days there'd be a great falling away. I think this is probably amazing. So that's my answer, maybe longer than you wanted me to, but I said my thoughts to you. I see Jennifer Hart liked it. You said 30%, Jennifer. You said, wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. 30% plus a year. That's amazing. Sheila Bell, thank you, Pastor Rick, for sharing your viewpoint. Thank you very much. Glad to do that. Anybody else have a question in here or online about this topic? You'd like to hear me talk about it? You're wondering about something? Want some clarification? Uh, Mr. Orlando, if you have a question, what do you think? Powerful talk, powerful talk. Um, we do have two questions Go from the previous um, topic. Go for it. We'll okay. Jump, we'll jump back to the previous topic. Okay. Uh, from first one from Herbert Singleton. How do we help adult siblings who have been holding grudges against each other? Well, if they got a grudge against you, you can try to make it, you know, make it right, you know, talk to them. But, you know, I've, I got people who got grudges against me. I can't help them. I mean, they, 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 they still think I got an ATM in the church. They still think I, uh, <laughs> they still think I asked for your W-2 form. People say people crazy stuff, you know. You, tell you, you do your best to tell them the truth, and then you let it go. You know, you let them go. You just, lady stopped me off of the church the other day. She said, I, I want to join this church. I'm trying to join, but you got to be rich to join this church. Ain't that right? You got to be rich. I heard you know we're rich people in here. All of them wealthy. But I'm poor, Pastor Rick, so I, can, I can't join your church. I said, girl, please. I said, I, said, I speak that over all my members. I declare that they will be rich, but they ain't got there yet. So you can come on and join. It was hilarious. So people lie on you. People get mad with you. People have opinions. Sometimes it's your siblings. You do your best. You know, you say your best, and then you move on. So reach out to them. But if they want to hold a grudge, then, hey, keep living. Let them catch up later. That's what I say. <laughs> Hopefully they catch up later. Because I can't spend my whole life trying to get you to see that I didn't steal the bacon. I didn't steal the bacon. I told you I didn't steal the bacon. I don't know what happened to the bacon. You're going to tell, yeah, you did. I saw you near the refrigerator. Look, I told you I got my own bacon. I mean, you know, so I, I, can't, I can't spend my life dwelling on the bacon. So praise God. What else you got from the lender? Next question is Brenda from, Brenda from Akron. Okay. Please advise how to encourage and support someone to cultivate a relationship with an adult child that they never had a relationship with with 
over the over the years, 40 years. Well, let me give a shout out to Brenda in Ohio. Let me see, Brenda, is it cold? What's up with no, those? No, it's probably warm there now. You probably, you probably got rid of all that snow. <laughs> uh, good to hear from you. I would say this. You cultivate what people let you cultivate. That's all you can do. You know, you, you try not to control their life. You try not to make every conversation about cor some correction or something you need to fix in their life. But you cannot allow yourself to, to, to be responsible just on your side. It's two sides to every relationship. I only control 50% of any relationship. They control the other 50%. And so you do the best you can. But here's what I, I, I just believe. I, don't, I try not to live in a state of emotional dependence on somebody uh, liking me or getting along with me. I try, but I've come to believe I don't control that. They control that. I only control how much? 50, how much do I control? 50%. Say, how much do I control? 50%. That's all I control. So, you know, you do your best. And, and, but I think you have to be fair. You have to listen. You have to make sure you're not overbearing, uh, trying to dominate the relationship. And then, um, Give them, you know, help. But, but if you haven't had that relationship all your life, Brenda, it's tough sometimes to, to build it because you, didn't, you never had it. And you just have to accept that we never had that and this is all new. They may not want it. Uh, and they may not be able to embrace it. And what's interesting is it may not just be about embracing a relationship with you. It may be with anybody. So do your best. Tell them to reach out. You want to develop a better relationship. I'm very intentional. I'm intentional with my kids. I'm intentional with my friends. And I work to build relationships. I really do. And you know that's true. I try to reach out and try to connect. But I, I can't connect with everybody. All right? How about that? Mr. Orlando, anything else, sir? Sister Queenie declares she's rich, too. But she's rich? Just Queenie, I, I, I received. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I want you to know I received that for you. And I said, amen, and amen, and amen, amen. Praise God. People say things about us is really funny, but I'll tell you, it's hilarious. Thank you, Marcus, for your shout out, sir. Watson, I appreciate that awesome word, Pastor Rich. Thank you so much. Jennifer Hart, thank you for the yes, that shout out, that. You know, back in church, you go, yeah, talk about it, boy. Say it, preacher man. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, any more before we go, Mr. Mr. Orlando? Listen, thank you. Anybody here have a question for me before we leave today? All right, let me say this to you. Thank you for joining me today, and I want to leave you with a prayer, and I want to leave you with some advice just to think about. All lots going on in the world right now. You, you got the war in Ukraine, which is a wicked war. I just think it's so wrong what's going on in that, in that conflict. Um, but I, I've, I've seen horrible things happen before. Uh, what happened the other day, a thousand people bombed in Ukraine in that, in that shopping center, Lord, the shootings that are going on. A lot's going on in the world. But what you cannot do is panic. You cannot panic. You cannot define your life by the tragedies, tragedies around you. In this series, I've been striving to talk to you about definitions, how you define things. Just because life is challenging, it doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean it can't get better. You must become a positive person who believes you can. 
one of the things that I, I fight a lot is confidence in my future, confidence in my ability to get past a, a good season and even a bad season. It's really amazing. Sometimes I will define my life by one moment. I'm going to preach this sermon. I'm going to go do this great thing or build a house or buy something. And once I get it, if I'm not careful, I will find myself struggling, struggling, going through hardships and difficulties. And I will, I will define my whole life by that. And I've learned I can't do that. I have to change my definition. My life will not be defined by one challenge. I am not going to allow myself to do that. And I believe that, like, like Jeff Coates, you're talking about those earthquakes in Colombia and all that stuff that's happening. Those are tragedies. And we cannot allow ourselves to look at all those natural disasters and all those issues. And they are tragic. And we pray for grace and healing in those people's lives. But I will not define myself by, by a storm, a hurricane. I grew up in L.A. when we had earthquakes, uh, Jeff Coates, and I understand what you mean, and I understand how we should feel and care for everything. But boy, I tell you, if we allow ourselves, we will only grieve. We'll never be happy. Because so much happens in family, in life, and I have to wrap myself in, in the word of God and say, Jesus came to give me life and give me life more. What's the big word? Abundantly. Abundantly. And I have to believe that, that God's going to give me strength and give me grace. And so I want you both here and at home to go into the world tomorrow with confidence. I want you to look at your definition. Do not confuse a principle with the practice. Don't get, don't get locked in and say, this is a law. I got to do it this way. No, you can do it a different way. Don't get confused. A principle is a law, something you have to do. You see, that's the truth. You have to tell the truth. That's a principle. You got to tell the truth. You got to have church. You got to gather. But how you gather can be different. The practice can be different from, from, the, from, from the way it's been done in the past. What we get stuck in, it's got to be the way it's always been. I say no. I say God can change. We can change. We can change our practices and have a better life. So let's all stand here. We're going to pray for you at home. And Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be here today. I pray for those who have watched. I praise you for those who have spent time with us today. I pray for those who are on both sides of this really difficult issue of abortion. I pray, God, for those who are facing the challenges of pregnancy, those who are facing all the things we talked about today. I ask you, Lord God, to bring healing and grace and strength. I ask you, Lord God, to help us as a people to unite. I pray against strife in families. I pray against division in families. I ask you to lift up everyone that's watching. Bless Jerry Grant. Bless uh, Jeff, Jeff Cole, Margaret, bless her, bless all of them, bless all those who are watching, Sheila Bell, everybody that's watching, let the hand of God be upon them. I pray for Beverly Davis, I pray for her husband, I pray for all those who are in our family, all those who are with us today. I lift them up before you, and I pray your blessing upon them. Those who are watching on demand as well, give them grace, healing in their bodies, and a bright future. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, I'm about big on being on time because I want you to come on back. Now, we're done with our, this set of Bible studies. We're going to have a vacation time in the month of July. Then we're going to come on back down here again. I got some stuff on family I'm going to teach on. 
and they'll be back on Wednesday nights. I'll let you know when they are. So pay attention to the announcements. We'll tell you what the next teachings will be and what the next series will be. Till then, I'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us. Bye, y'all. Bye, Sheila Bell. Bye, Margaret. Bye, all of you people watching. Jerry Grant, LaShawn, Jeffcoat, thank you for being with us today. Mary, thank you. All of you that are watching, all of you, God bless you, all over the country. Have a great day. I see Cutray. I see you. Thank you for being with us today. Jennifer Hart, thank you for being with us today. Every one of you, again, name by name, I got to go. My time is up because it's 8 o'clock. Bye, y'all. See you. Bye, Lori. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Have a great day.